We're in Hebrews chapter 2, and we left off here last time um, at the beginning of this chapter, in Hebrews chapter 2 in our study, and we looked at so great a salvation, and how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, and the rest of this chapter goes on to talk about our sympathizing Savior. Uh, The word sympathy, uh, sometimes we use it as, you know, we send our sympathies, those kind of things, but really... You can only truly, really sympathize with somebody when you've ex- walked in their shoes, so to speak, or, or, or been close to the, the same kind of um, circumstances they find themselves in and all that. And we find in Scripture that Jesus is the one who left the realms of glory, came down to this place here. He incarnated, he put on flesh, literally that's what that word means, and he walked among us, and as he did so... The Bible says he experienced every temptation that is common to man. Every temptation that is common to any of us. He knows what it's like. And yet without sin, that's the difference. And we need a Savior who's not just us, but someone who is like us, but without sin. Because I'm a sinner and uh, we uh, need a Savior, don't we? So we're going to look at that this morning, our sympathizing Savior. We're going to read from verses 6 down to verse 18. I'm going to actually back up to verse 3 just to put it in context of where we were last week. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he did not put... The world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him... For whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Amen. Amen. For indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, 
In all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Lord, we come before you, and as we open up the Bible again, your word, we ask you to open it to our hearts in our seed it deeply into our lives, Lord, and not only as individuals, but Lord, in our families, in our communities, in our nation, our world, that the word of God would go out, and as is promised, it will not return void. And we know, Lord, it's at work even today as you open it to us. And we ask again that you would do so this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We look at this passage, and again, a little bit lengthy passage to read, but to get the full context of it, and we see uh, really this idea of the sympathizing Savior, or someone who has been in our shoes, and that's the simple way of putting it uh, in the simplest kind of form of theology, if you want to put it in that way. Of course, there's a lot more that has been written about that and a lot more commentary on that. But in essence, that's the simplest form of it. We have a Savior who's like us, and yet he's different from us as well and uh, very needed. And I want to look, though, at this text this morning, and we will notice here, if you want an outline, um, really the, the point of this is that Jesus became a man. And so we have to understand mankind. I say mankind, that includes you know, women, everybody, uh, humanity in that aspect and we see from this text and there's quotations from the old testament in the book of psalms uh, about the about man and our condition and what we're like and what we're like in in our world today and what we're like also in a time yet to come and what jesus is like and why he came all those questions are sort of answered here um, I say sort of, they're expanded on in other portions of scripture, but they are really answered in this text when we look at it. And we see here uh, this idea of what man is like. And we see the first point here is that man was crowned with glory. And again, we're quoting here from Psalm 8, but, and when the writer says, uh, in another place, he said, when you see that, he's, they're quoting from the Bible. And I love what the Bible does. It comments on itself. And I I love what the Holy Spirit does when you're reading the Old Testament and you wonder what that's all about. And then it's quoted again in the New Testament. And it's explained that this is about Jesus. And this is about us. And we read here the words of David uh, from the Psalms. But he says, you have made him. And you notice in the New King James here, the him is not capitalized. It's a reference to man. It's not a reference to him, the, the son of man, the, the, the God, the son, that put on flesh. That's yet to come in verse 9. But it's a reference to us. And it says, you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. And then it says, and you have put all things in subjection under his feet. And Uh, We'll come to that second part in a little bit, but we see here the first point of that where he says, you have made him, referring to the Lord making us. And if you want an outline underneath that, and again, I'm taking these from Adrian Rogers' uh, outlines when he went through the book of Hebrews, but he talks about man's design. That's part of the glory that is residing with us in that 
God made us. And I would back it up and say more specifically, he, he made Adam <laughs> and he made Eve. And when he did so, he put not only his creative design on man, which is phenomenal, right? I mean, you think about what a human, just a very, you know, even someone that's not very athletic or anything like that, what you can do. I and mean, you take the fingers of a, of a human, a person, and they, they have a hard time designing anything that will come close to a, an artificial hand that can do what your fingers can do. God has done all of that. And you could take one cell of the human body or of any living thing and you find out it is far vaster, it's, it's far more creative in its design than anything we could ever imagine. And they're still trying to find all that stuff out and trying to come up with ways of, of creating life and nobody has discovered a way to do that because we were designed by a creator. And... That stamp of glory certainly is upon us in that way. The designer, he is still there. And, and beyond that, man goes beyond any other creature. Because, you see, when God created him, he, um, well, as the Bible says there, he made him a little lower than the angels. He put us in a realm where we aren't in a realm where angels are. Uh, not that angels can't be in this realm, but, but angels are not bound from what we know from Scripture to uh, having to walk around on the earth. <clears throat> uh, that's not something that we, are, we have to worry about, or, you know, as far as just all of a sudden being able to take off and fly somewhere on our own, right? Uh, but we find in Scripture, angels uh, have a, a lot of different things there. And so this isn't necessarily a study on angels. We talked about them a little bit before in chapter 1. But, uh, and that's not the emphasis here. Man was made lower than the angels, yet he's been given glory. And that glory comes from his maker. Back in the book of Genesis in chapter 2, we read of the creation of Adam. And it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I want you to think about that. That's unique in that we and Adam were created out of the dust. Think about that. I can take dirt and the best I can make maybe in a little mud puddle somewhere as I did when I was a kid, you know, some little thing that looks like maybe, you know, uh, uh, you could take, you know, roll mud together and then put it together or go to the, the beach and, you know, make a little sand castle and that's about all I can do. And, you know, it dries out and falls apart or your brother kicks it and it's gone, you know, that kind of thing. God can take the elements of the earth the very stuff we walk on and are sitting on and breathing and everything else, and he can breathe life into it and make something so complicated as us. Wow. That's why life is important, by the way, because God breathed life into us. And he gave man, basically, when you, when you look at this, he, he gave him a certain um, glory. Yeah, thank you. But you know, the Bible says this also in our design. It says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You see, God breathed into us his spirit in the sense that he made us spiritual beings and a soul, a living being. But he stamped on us also in Adam that desire to worship. In Adam before sin, it was a desire that was 
unencumbered by sin, and it was a desire to worship God as we ought to be worshiping Him. But since Adam and the fall into sin, and that choice of sin, and the curse of sin, and we'll get to that here talking about it, we are bent, not, we still try to worship, but we're bent away from worshiping God. According to the book of Romans chapter 1, we'll worship everything but God. We'll go out and worship the tree, we'll go out and worship the sky, we'll worship the sun, as in S-U-N, or we'll worship another human being, or we'll make an idol out of stone or wood or something like that and worship it. And Paul in chapter 1 of Romans says we, they change the, the glory of the image of, the, of, the, of God into like creeping things and four-footed beasts, and, and they turned, you know, that's how we do. We turn things into something that we can touch and feel and somehow think that's easier to worship. But in our sin, that's how we're tainted. And God had a plan. He had a plan that he himself would enter into humanity and he would show us the way of salvation and he would actually be the way of salvation. Amen. Amen, that's for sure. There's a good question here in Mark chapter 8. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Jesus said that. That's a question that we'll hopefully talk about a little bit here as we go through this. Because it's an important one, and your eternity depends on it in the sense of what will you do with Jesus Christ? What will you do with him? Well, there's man's design, and we could talk all kinds of things or bring all kinds of things about that. But we also see man's dignity. Man's dignity. And what I mean by dignity is that he has, he has a, a dignified position in the view of God. And well, it says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. Now, I, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, imagine if you woke up this morning and maybe you checked your email or whatever. And, and let's say um, the king of England, you know, King Charles has sent you an email and he says, I was thinking of you this morning and I'd like to come visit you. And I'm like, well, first of all, I, I hadn't thought much of him, but I did, not that I don't think little of him either, but it's not something, I'm, you know, I'm an American, we don't have a king, that kind of thing. But, but I, I wouldn't think that King Charles has ever thought of Jack Karen in his life and probably never will, and, and that's okay. But would that surprise you if you woke up and it was a legitimate email and, or a call or, or even worse, a knock on the door? You look out there, wow, King of England's here, and he's here to visit me. David in Psalm 8 says, What is man that you, Lord, are mindful of him? And I can imagine David as that shepherd who's out there with his sheep in the middle of the night and he's gazing up into that clear sky, uninhibited by the light pollution we have today with all our street lights and everything else. And he's seeing just those thousands of stars. And he says, And what am I that you would even think about me? But the truth is that God does think about you. You see... He thinks about you. And by the way, he loves us. And he, God doesn't love us because we're valuable, but we are valuable because he loves us. He's given us dignity. And I'm glad for that. And don't ever forget that. That's why there's value in each and every individual in the eyes of God. He's mindful of you. He's mindful of me. God can't get you off his mind. And if you come to the Gospel of John, and John says, For God so loved the world. You know, John uses that term, the world, 77 times in his Gospel. 
John is, is big about, you know, as he presents Jesus Christ, the one who came into this world. As it says in John chapter 1, he came unto his own, his own received him not. But to those that have received him, to them he became, right, the, have the power to become the sons of God, or called the sons. Yeah, messed that all up. But anyways, sometimes if I don't start in the right place in the verse, I'll, I'll go anywhere with it. But you know, he has you on his mind. His glory. Oh, I'm glad for that. And the Son of Man that you visit him. Think God would ever visit us? David was wondering that. And little did David know, maybe at that point, that God indeed would visit him. And he would be in the family of David, in his ancestor. In his, uh, well, not his ancestors. David was an ancestor. In his lineage that would follow. And I'm telling you, that would be pretty exciting. Because it was in the house of David, in the tribe of Judah, that Jesus would be born. And he was born in the city of David, his ancestor. And I think about that. God visiting us. In Bethlehem's manger, he was introduced to the world. And you know, another point as well, and we'll come to this, but... He's given us, um, and, and my, he's mindful. I just say that because, you know, God thinks of us. And sometimes when you come to that conclusion and you realize that God is omniscient, meaning all-knowing, and that he actually interacts with us. And that's different than the, um, like the deist notion in the, there were a lot of people that call themselves deists or more in times past that believe that there was a, a God, a, a creator, and he sort of spun up creation and then sent it off and, we're just sort of in this big plan. God doesn't really interact with us, and we don't interact with Him. But that's so foreign to the concept of how God is presented in His Word. He looks at the individual, He sees us, He puts value on us. He puts value on us because He loves us and He wants us to be saved. And that's important. Back in, again in the Gospel of John, we read of this. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, here's Nathanael. He's sitting under a tree and he's thinking and um, and how I know, it doesn't say he's sitting under the tree there, but it says it a little bit further on. And you know what? He's thinking about things, but he's not thinking about anything coming out of Nazareth. He's not thinking about Jesus. He's not thinking about anything that way. I don't know what his thoughts were, but they, he was thinking. He was out there. Philip said, come and see. See, Philip went to invite Nathaniel to come and see the one he believed, Philip believed, was the Christ. Look, I like this next verse. It says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Or in, yeah, in whom is no deceit. And that's different. In Nathanael's mind, I mean, Jesus doesn't know me. How does he know what I'm like? Apparently he was a good man. He didn't have a deceitful life. What you saw is what you got. I think we need more men and women like that. That what you see is what you got. And they're good, not just bad, right? <laughs> a lot of that too. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Just like David. 
Have you ever been mindful of, you know, how could you be mindful of me? That's basically what he's saying. And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And I can imagine Nathaniel went, huh? Jesus saw me? Jesus saw me before I ever thought of him? Yeah. He thought of you before you ever thought of him. And I'm glad because you see, God is the one who initiated salvation. And he's mindful of us. And he wants us mindful of him. And I'm thankful that his plan began from eternity past, even before there was a creation. He's the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. And I don't understand all that fully. I really can't. And neither can you. And and I'm suspect of those that say they do. And I just put it this way, that God had you on his mind. Amen. Man was crowned with glory in his design, in his dignity, and lastly, in his dominion. Dominion. Dominion means his control over, or it's an idea of stewardship over something. Um, You're basically boundaries, and man's supposed to be in charge. That's what the Bible says. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, it says, you have put all things in subjection and subjection under his feet. And that is true in part. And I'll get to that because there's coming a time when that will be fulfilled fully, like it was in the beginning through Adam. When Adam was created, and God had created all this beautiful garden, and you know, not just a little garden like we do up here in northern Maine, I'm talking this is a beautiful world filled with life that as we even see in the fossil records today, there are just more things that were alive then than there are now in different kinds of things, in the varieties of, of life on this planet from the plants and the animals and everything else. You can imagine what it was like in the beginning. And God said to Adam, this is for you to have dominion over. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. As God, the triune God, you notice the plural. Then God said, let us. That's God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. And we see that in Scripture. He's the Father of creation. It's the Son by whom all things consist and all things that were made, according to John chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 2, and you read of the Spirit of God who moved on the, the depths, as it says in Genesis. You see the triune God involved in creation. But he says, let us, and then he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, You can claim that verse today and and say, um, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Uh, Roland, I'm going to call on you for a second. Do you have perfect dominion over the fish in in, uh, the lake? I did yesterday. Yeah, see? (laughs) I don't care how many holes you drill. Well, you can't drill too many without the game warden showing up. But, you know, how many traps you set, lines you set, whatever, how many times you troll up and down that lake. Sometimes they just don't bite. 
Sometimes the fish are just not happy with what you're doing or that day. I, I can't figure out a fish's brain. <coughs> How about the birds of the air? Nope. Nope. I, I've had that. I'll tell you what. I was walking one day and a group of pigeons flew off and I looked at one. He was aiming right at me and guess what he did? On my white shirt. Yeah. And I thought, boy, I'd like to get a hold of you, you know. But I couldn't catch the pigeon and... And I tried to explain that to everybody from the rest of the day, why I had pigeon poop on my shirt. But anyways, we'll leave it there. Don't have control over the birds of the air. How about cattle? Dan? Cows always do what you want to do? A little bit. Yeah, no. Doesn't happen, does it? By the way, try to ride a cow. I had a friend that tried to do that once. That was about it. It didn't work. How about over the earth, all the earth, everything that creeps, creeping things? See something out there, a wild animal, whatever, and say, hey, go do this. It doesn't do it. But you realize in the beginning, when God created things and it was good and there was no sin, man had perfect dominion. And in doing so, man had that control over things in a good way, not in a, like, a way today where people want to do that, have control over stuff so they can either enrich themselves or, you know, destroy something or whatever else. I mean, that's the, the sin-cursed world we live in. He says in Psalm 8, You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And then he goes on, And sh- all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the fields, and the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. And, and I would just say it this way, that man is a unique part of God's creation. That he, he made us in such a way. And in Adam, he was so much more than he is today. Man, men, you know, I'm talking men, women, boys, and girls. He's more, far more. He was far more than what we are today. Because we don't have dominion. We don't always have dignity in, among ourselves by any means. Um, God still dignifies man. And, you know, there are times where we look at, at what goes on. And, you know, I, I thought about that. Imagine having someone that has never seen an automobile. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking hypothetically, like if someone, I don't necessarily think there's aliens or those kind of things, you know, as far as outer space kind of aliens. But imagine one comes down and you say, I want to show you a car. I want to show you a car that man made, you know, and I'm going to show you a, a, a nice sports car. And so I, I saw this picture of a Toyota Supra. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Probably hit a Ford when it was broke down. I don't know, something like that. I, I don't know. No, I don't know. I'm driving a Ford and a Toyota, so there you go. But you go in and you, you show this person or this, whatever, and you say, look at this car. It's amazing. I mean, look at the intricacy of that, and the, the wheels even, and, and just how things are designed, and they're pieced together. And, and you could certainly look at that and say, that's a car. And you could even get an idea of what sort of that car is like. But, but is that something you would want to go out and buy, right? As Knowing if you knew what cars look like, right? That's what it's supposed to look like. <clears throat> and that's a nice car, right? I don't think a pastor should drive in that, but I'd like to try it just once. But... But and there's there's a bunch. But listen, it reminds me of a church I was in previous in Pasadumkeg, and um, 
Pastor Snell, who was there, and his teenage son, they had fixed up an uh, old Mustang, and it was beautiful. And one day, the neighbor uh, called like, down the street and said um, uh, to, to, the, to the parsonage and to uh, Rick's wife there, uh, Becky, and the neighbor calls and says, Do you know what your son's doing down here in the road? He's burning up the tires, and he's turning and doing donuts and all that. And Becky says, it's not my son. <laughs> it, was, it was the pastor. So anyways, anyway. <laughs> so th- things happen, you know. But anyways, listen. If you want to show somebody a car, you want to go to the showroom and show them how it's built, right? And you realize mankind's the same way. See, we are marred by sin. And the best that we see in this fallen world is like this. And yes, it's still amazing, a bunch of design, but it doesn't quite run right. Not in that condition. <clears throat> Sometimes it doesn't run at all. And it comes undone. And at best, we live in a world that's tainted, even in our own view and mind, with this idea of sin. And when we really were created to look like that. You know, did Jesus have dominion, by the way, when he was here? over the creatures of the earth? Because, see, I don't, but did Jesus. See, the way I have dominion over something, I have to go out and either, like, you know, shoot it, track it down, hunt it, whatever else, or, you know, till the garden every year because the weeds grow faster than anything else. You know, those kind of things, that's what I have to do. But do you know that, that that's not the way Jesus had to do it? In Mark chapter 11, you know this story, coming into Jerusalem and Jesus said to his disciples, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. And you know why Jesus wanted it brought? Is he was going to ride on it. This is an animal that had never been ridden before. I don't care who you are. If you jump on a, a donkey, a, a colt uh, of some sort, you know, a horse, anything like that, that first time, you're, it's going to be a rodeo. All right? That's how they are. They don't want to be ridden. And you have to often, they say, say, break a horse, right? In other words, it has to learn submission to the rider. Jesus didn't have to do that. He just got on. Remember Peter? Peter says, Lord, I'll die for you. I'll go wherever you want. I'll even die for you. And you know, Jesus said, Peter, before... The rooster crows three times, you will, or before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. And if you read in all the gospel accounts that event where Peter denies, and then he denies again, and then he denies a third time, and immediately the rooster crowed. God controlled the rooster. I can't control the rooster. I was on a missions trip with the Carters. This was years ago in the camp that we went to and uh, on the, the church also went to years later. And we were sleeping in one of those former horse stalls is what it was. They were just little concrete horse stalls and had some bunks in them and we were sleeping in there. And the door was open because there was no door. And in the morning a rooster came in and he walked right up to my bunk, and I was on the bottom bunk, and he came right up, and his face was lifted this far from mine. Mine was sleeping, his was not. And all of a sudden, he let out the, and 
I thought I had, the rapture was happening or something. I jumped up and I thought, this is it, you know. And I looked and I see that rooster. And I reached for it and he was gone already. He just, phew, like gone. But it was time to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning or whatever it was. And uh, he decided he was going to wake us up. I thought, that's, well, I wish I had dominion over roosters. Jesus did. Yeah. And Jesus would use a rooster to drive home a point of a disciple who had, re- had renounced Christ. But he still loved Christ. And in tears, Peter leaves and he wept over that. And my friends, there's times as a follower of Christ, you may deny him, but he still loves you. Later, that's exactly what God or Jesus would invite Peter, remember, to sit at a breakfast meal. And he would ask him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the answer every time is, feed my my sheep, feed my land. That's what Jesus would say when Peter would say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And he'd say, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. How about the fish? Remember when they had to pay a tax and the disciples wondered where they're going to come up with the money? Jesus says, nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea. Cast in a hook and take the fish that comes up. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Not only could Jesus have a fish go to the hook, but he could have a fish that ate a coin before it went to the hook. And he would even have some probably fisherman or somebody out there one day, and that he bent over the boat and a coin came out of his pocket, and that coin goes down. All the things that would have to happen to have that exact event take place. And I don't care if you went and fed a fish a coin or whatever, if you'd eat it, I don't know, some do. Uh, try to catch that same fish and you won't happen. He had dominion over the fish. We know that too in John 21 on that day that Peter was invited and the other disciples to sit and eat breakfast and he was challenged about his love and all of that. Just before that, they had fished all night and didn't catch a one. Wow. John 21, 6, Jesus is on the shore. He says to the men that are in the boat, throw your net on the other side. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. He has dominion over the fish. Aren't you glad we have a savior like that? Well, I got to move on quickly here. Man was crowned with glory, but man has been charged with guilt. He's been charged with guilt. It says this in verse 8, it says, You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But, there's that word, but, always say, why is that there? But now we do not yet see all things put under him. So all I've just said is summed up in that little statement. And it drives home the point. You don't have dominion. Even though you're told you do, you don't. And the reason is, is because when Adam sinned, he gave over that dominion to the devil. And the, the devil is called the god of this world, G-O-D, small g-o-d. And it's one term that's used of him. He, he has, in many ways, a lot of, well, he does damage in this world. And, 
you know what? Lucifer, as he was known in his state before the fall, and then after was known as Satan, as the devil, um, he's out there and he wants dominion. He wants what's not his. In the temptation of Christ in the Gospels, when you read of that, it's actually over the dominion that and over the power that he tempts Christ with, even though Christ already had it. Hey, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Guess what? They're already Jesus's. You know? But that's the way the devil is. Because man sinned and did the same thing that angels did, which was want to be like God, and that's exactly the same process that took place when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were saying, we want to be as gods, knowing good and evil. That's the promise that Satan gave them. And they chose the very same act of rebellion that angels did before them. And those were cast out from the presence of God. And guess what? Adam and Eve were cast out from the presence of God. They had to leave the garden. And then thorns and thistles grew and, and disease came and all the bad things that happen in a world that is touched by sin and the tragedies that arise out of that whole mix and the story of human history, which is just filled with all kinds of violence and everything else. Adrian Rogers writes this, Remember God made us, but sin has marred us. And so man still has traces of that dominion. He can build an airplane, but now he makes a bomber out of it. He can discover the power of the atom, but he turns it into a bomb. He can create a television, but he puts moral filth and violence and sex on it. Because his mental manpower has been marred by, oh, has outrun his moral breaks. I like that. His, you get that? Because his mental manpower has outrun his moral breaks. That's how we are. We'll, we'll build something and it's amazing and all that, but then it ends up being used as evil so often. He has created a Frankenstein in many ways, hasn't he? And that goes to the last point. Man may be changed by grace. You see, that's the story of Christ. He didn't leave us in our guilt. He didn't leave us in this mess that we created in sin. He had a plan. In chapter 9, it says, but, and there it is again, that conjunction. Whenever you see that, it's a change. It's a directional change. It says, we're turning around. Remember, but we don't have dominion. Oh, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Guess what? He came to the realm man is, because we're also made a little lower than the angels. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Guess who has true honor and glory? Christ. That he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. He's tasted death. He knows what it's like. He knows what it feels like. He knows, in a sense, his own death, and the suffering that that included, he knew what it was going to, he knows now the, how that was experienced and what it was like. And that brings us to this. He suffered as a man. He didn't suffer as an image of a man, like a, like a you know, kind of apparition or a ghost. Or something. He actually had flesh and blood. And he knows what it's like to suffer. When Jesus was in the garden and he was there, and he praying, and he said, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He did so 
with his impending death in view. It was just hours away. Do you think Jesus was feeling the weight of his death? Not just any death, but a death of a cross? Absolutely. Bible says, yeah, he sweat great drops of blood. Great drops of blood. He was pressed with all that. In Isaiah 53, <coughs> it talks about the suffering Savior or the suffering Messiah. That was written 700 years before Jesus would go to the cross. And it's there in Isaiah. We read that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. That, that's the suffering of Christ. And he knew that was coming. It would rest very heavily on him. In verse 6, And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Hebrew commentary on this section, when the Hebrew you know, scribes were, and, and teachers were writing of this in that uh, time, um, prior to the New Testament and all of that, they talked about this as the one who would come and die a thousand deaths. Because that's how it's written. The death of the one here was like dying a death of a thousand. I'm glad I don't have to face a thousand deaths in my own life. It's a point that a man wants to die. That's what the Bible says. I'm glad just I have to have once. But you see, Jesus, when he took on the sin of the world and it was laid upon him... He died and tasted death for everyone. Everything that has ever been, that has happened, every sinful act, every evil thing, all the hurts and the, and the harm that sin has brought in our world was laid upon him. And he tasted it. He tasted it. He knows what it's like. Jesus subdued the devil as a man. He subdued the devil. Verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. <laughs> Listen, the devil got it wrong. He thought, if I could just cut off the Messiah, if I can kill the Christ, then I'll be free. And instead it was through death and the means of death that the sin uh, penalty would be paid for. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what Romans 6.23 says. And Jesus, through death, destroyed him who had the power of death. I love it. You see, we were born in Adam's race, the human race, and we were marred by sin. It says that in 1 Corinthians 15. For since by man came death, by man, capital M, also came the resurrection of the dead. Aren't you glad that Jesus has victory over death? In Galatians chapter 4, even, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And we are. Even so we, when we were uh, children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. You see, man can be changed by grace. He goes from the wreck that we picture in our life at best. I don't care how good your life you live, you are like that 
crash Toyota. All right? Trying to connect that. You, you say, I'm a good moral person. I, you know, I do all the things I'm supposed to. I, I've been in church all my life. I've, you know, been good to people. I give money. I, I've been baptized. I, whatever. You can say all those things. But no matter what, if you're in your sin, you're just like that crashed car. And God wants to bring you into his realm and make you not a sinner in Adam's race, but those who are saved under grace through Christ. Adopted into his family. And that's by faith, right? That's how you get there. You're by faith. You say, I believe, I trust. I turn from my sin and I leave my sin with Christ. He bore it. He took it. He paid the penalty for it. Lord, take my sin. And he's promised to forgive you of your sin. And now he promises to make you a new creation. In his then as much as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And lastly, Jesus sympathizes as a man. Because he partook of flesh and blood, he knows what it's like. And we need that. Uh, you know, you will not find that in, in any religion of the world. <laughs> you find that only in Christianity and that we have a Savior. We have a God who knows what it's like to walk in your shoes. In chapter 2, verse 17, Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to do that to be a merciful and faithful high priest. A priest is one who makes intercession for the people, right? And that's what Jesus is. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is also able to aid those who are tempted. He's the only one that can give you true aid in your time of need and knows what it's like. And then in chapter 4, this statement is so it's just We're going to come to this eventually in our study, but it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. See, that's the great, really, means of salvation. That God, who was without sin, would put on flesh and he would come and now he intercedes on our behalf to save us. Have you trusted him? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you turned from your sin to him? It's all it is. It's a free gift he offers, but it was a costly gift for him to accomplish. Let's pray. God, we're grateful. We're grateful, Lord, that man may be changed by grace. And I pray to that end today that people in our world would be changed not by some outward working that they try to turn over a new leaf or or try to live as a better person, but rather they would be changed from within, changed by being born again, being made a new creation, being brought into the family of God by faith. Thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that in this world today, many would come to saving faith in Christ. We ask this all in his name. Amen.